0: So, we'll celebrate that in just a few moments. In light of those baptisms, I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 5. As you're turning there, we're going to take a break from our series in Mark here, eventually head into a summer series on the Psalms, starting with Psalm 20 in just a couple weeks. But really, this morning and next week is just a two part mini sermon series, if you will, today on baptism that entrance into this thing called the church and then next week uh, Dave Lundberg will preach on well what happens next now that I'm part of a local church then what and he'll use a text out of Acts to help us answer that question so I hope you can be here next week as well if you're able to uh, please stand as I read Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Our great God and heavenly Father, as we now turn our attention to your word, I pray that you would teach us that you would instruct us, that you would enlighten our hearts. We need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus in your word, for faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So living Lord Jesus, speak to us in this time and in this place, I pray. Encourage us, challenge us, Convict us, Lord, in the areas of our lives where we really do need your holy conviction. And all things draw us close to the cross. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Years ago, as a youth pastor, I baptized a young man in our youth group named Reggie. Reggie's parents didn't come to church, but they were generally supportive of him and supportive of him being baptized. And so on that particular Sunday morning, Reggie's dad came up to me before the service and he extended his hand and gripped my hand and in a very gruff voice said, hold him under as long as it takes. (laughs) Now I assumed he was joking, but the fact that he did not release his grip from my hand made me think otherwise. Now he eventually did release his grip on my hand and I said, look, I'm really glad you're here. I'm honored to baptize Reggie, but just to be clear, just so we're clear, whether I hold your son under for one second or five seconds or 30 seconds doesn't really matter because being baptized doesn't remove all of his sins. And so he thought about it for a few seconds and then he leaned in and said, well, I'm not too sure then why anybody would want to do this, but if I were you, I'd hold him under long enough to teach him a lesson. So for those of you being baptized here in just a few moments, when I hold you under, I'm actually not trying to teach you a lesson and I'm not trying to make you drown either. What's really going on with baptism? This is a great opportunity for all of us to have a better understanding of what really is taking place in baptism. Jesus Christ, as head of his church, gave us, his people, the redeemed, two very tangible reminders, two very uh, tangible pictures of the gospel, very public pictures of the gospel, communion and baptism. And it just so happens this morning that we have the wonderful privilege of celebrating both. But in order to understand how baptism is, in fact, a picture of the gospel, In order to know that it means so much more than, look, I'm just going to hold you down long enough to teach you a lesson, we actually need to understand what the gospel actually is. Because if baptism is indeed a picture of the gospel, well, what is the gospel being displayed? What is the picture of the gospel on display in these baptisms? Now, perhaps you're here and you've heard something about the gospel. Most of us have, and it is, it is good news. I think most of us would say, yeah, the, the gospel is good news. It is indeed good news, but good news about you, good news about me, good news about people in general, good news about our country. What's really the good news? Is the gospel the good news that Basically, I can choose to be whoever I want to be, that I can define for myself who I am, and once I do that, then everybody else just needs to accept me. Is that the good news? Is the good news that with enough education, with enough opportunities, with enough progress, that we can make ourselves, kind of transform ourselves into into better people, kinder, maybe gentler, more moral people, the kind of people that make really good neighbors. Is that the gospel? Or maybe the gospel is just, look, show up to church relatively consistently, throw a little money in the offering plate, and try not to frustrate those around you. I mean, that's kind of a low bar, isn't it? And we don't even have an offering plate here. So what is the good news of the gospel? Well, brothers and sisters, the gospel starts with a person, and the gospel is precisely good news because it's actually not specifically about us at at first. The gospel is about Jesus, and about all the saving work of Jesus for people like us. And so, you may have already caught that, all the saving work, all the rescuing work, all the redeeming work of Jesus for us, and you may be here thinking, well, why, why do I need to be saved? That's actually the bad news. The gospel actually starts with that bad news. And the bad news is I'm a sinner. And I am in need of salvation. And sin is my greatest enemy. And I cannot defeat this enemy on my own. And every last one of us have tried. We've tried education, we've tried opportunities, we've tried to do good, we've tried to be good, and it hasn't got us anywhere at all. The gospel is starts with the bad news, but you know what the good news is? Jesus is a friend to sinners. In fact, even more than that, Jesus is the savior to sinners. So in the gospel, God the Father saw you and me in our absolute desperate need. And he didn't ignore us. And he didn't run away from us. But in fact, he stooped low in sending his own son, Jesus, to be born, to live the life that we were created to live, a perfect life, a pure life. But none of us could live that life because of our sins. And in his great mercy and kindness, Jesus willingly, voluntarily, the writer of Hebrews says, joyfully, for the joy set before him gave his life up for you and for me on the cross to save us. So his saving work, church, goes far deeper than external behavior or just changing a few outward actions The gospel is more than just Jesus tweaking us a little bit because our fundamental problem is much deeper than that. So the spiritual change that the gospel actually brings reaches to the very core of who we are. It goes to the very heart, our heart. And so when a person repents of their sins, that is when they turn from trusting in themselves to Christ, change then, that spiritual transformation comes from the inside out. And so the great news is that when Jesus died on the cross for you and for me, all of our sins, past, present, and future, all of them, nailed to the cross. And when God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, sin, death, and Satan were defeated. And people like us, people in need of a Savior, sinners in need of redemption, can know the blessing of being in a right relationship with the holy God that will last beyond this life, that in fact will endure for all eternity. So cheer up. You are a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. But you are more deeply loved by God than you dare even hope. Now Reggie's dad didn't have a category for the gospel. And because he didn't have a category for the gospel, he really didn't have an understanding of how baptism was a picture of this beautiful, breathtaking gospel on display. He didn't have a picture of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But I want to make sure that you do this morning. I want to make sure that you leave here with a very clear picture of that. And the Bible teaches that there is a way to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ in Repentance. And in faith. Baptism is the first step, public step, of responding to Jesus in repentance and faith. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel on display. And that's the Apostle Paul's heart in this text in Romans chapter 6. Let me read it again Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. in a resurrection like his. Paul paints a a, really a stunning picture here of the rich symbolism involved in baptism. Paul says baptism is a gospel picture. It's a gospel picture of our union, our union with Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection from the dead. Paul says the very same thing to the Colossian church, Colossians chapter 2, Where he speaks about the the glories of being united with Christ, Paul says, Colossians 2, verse 12: "Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead." So Paul's point in Romans here is that when we are united with Christ, when we actually believe the gospel, we we don't sin more. In fact. Because we've already died to sin. And so the picture of our death to sins is in this rich symbolism of being baptized, verse 3. When we are baptized, as Paul says, we are baptized into Christ. So there is, uh, the, the power of sin then has been broken. So you need to know there, there is, I just checked this morning too, there's nothing magical about that water. It's warm Praise God. But there, there's nothing magical about the water or the tank. That's not how any of us will be saved from our sins. We're, only Jesus has the power to defeat sin. Amen? That's, and, and so in, baptized, in being baptized then, when a person goes all the way under the water, fully submerged, it symbolizes the fact then that that person has been totally cleansed of all of their sins from head to foot, totally forgiven. So baptism is a kind of spiritual bath. As you go under, you identify with Jesus in his death and burial. And verse four, as you are raised to new life, you identify with him in his victory and in his resurrection. So very practically, that's why, that's why I don't have to try and hold someone down as if to say, okay, how much longer is this gonna take? How many sins do you have? Not at all. Jesus has already paid the price for our sins through his atoning death on the cross. So baptism is a profoundly rich picture of of, of being fully submerged under the water, death, I've died to my sins, and the resurrection of Christ being raised to new life as we come up out of the water, we are now alive to God in Christ Jesus. and So that's why we read, that's why the Apostle Paul Never tires of this. This is a resounding theme throughout his his letters to these churches. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. I'm dead, died to my sins. Behold, the new has come. So baptism is a, is a rich picture. Of exactly that. And so Paul tells us here that what has happened internally in the heart is far greater than anything that happens externally in a tank, because baptism is a picture of the gospel. And because of this rich symbolism of going down, being buried with our sins with Christ, and being raised to new life, rising up out of the water, as you'll see these folks do, Only believers in Jesus Christ, then, are to be baptized. That's because baptism, which is a symbol of beginning the Christian life, is only given, then, to those who have, in fact, begun the Christian life. So, those who give a credible profession of faith. So, you'll be able to hear their testimonies here in just a moment. Now, it's equally important to understand, church, that baptism, in and of itself, doesn't save. Never has Never will. Simply being baptized, which we would say is a good deed, good deeds have never saved anyone. To say that baptism or any other work or action is necessary for salvation is to say that we are not justified by faith alone, but we are justified by faith plus a certain work. In this case, it is the work of baptism. That's anti gospel, that is anti grace. And the Apostle Paul spends, in fact, really an entire book, the book of Galatians, refuting that whole idea. So you might ask then, okay, I'm tracking, if baptism doesn't save, then why do it? Why would I want to stand in front of 300-plus people, share a testimony, I'm a little bit freaked out at that, and get all wet? That was Reggie's dad's question. And there are several good reasons for that. Let me just highlight three. Number one. First, and this is, says this is most important. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Christ commands, we joyfully, willingly obey. So in being baptized, our brothers and sisters this morning, in obedience to Jesus, are simply following the example that Jesus himself has set. You may recall in our studies in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 9, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, well, he didn't need a baptism to show that he had repented of his sins because he didn't have any sins. He knew no sin. He was completely spotless, sinless, Lamb of God. But Jesus was baptized in obedience to God the Father. And as a result, God validated him as his son, really approved of him as, his, as the true king. So those who profess faith in Christ this morning are being baptized in obedience. They are following the clear command of Jesus. Second, baptism publicly demonstrates allegiance to Jesus Christ. So when the seven people this morning are baptized, what are they doing? They are declaring to all of us publicly that their king is Christ. That they're seeking to live their lives in submission to him as their ruling king. Now, in the first century, the Roman government demanded that people pay allegiance and bend the knee to Caesar as God. And the Apostle Paul then is writing this to the the Romans here. He knows full well that if anyone is to be baptized, as they're reading this in the first century, what they're saying then is, wait a minute, Caesar's not God. In fact, I'm being baptized to say that Caesar is a false God. My allegiance is to Jesus. My allegiance is only and ever to Jesus, he's the true king, and it's not Caesar. So in the first century, baptism was an incredibly subversive act. I mean, if you're gonna be baptized in the first century, that is an act of defiance. That is an act of disobedience towards the Roman government. And still today, in many countries and in many places of the world, being baptized carries with it severe consequences. There's a cost to being baptized in many places of the globe. There's a loss of job, loss of family, loss of relationships, perhaps loss of status, loss of reputation, loss of life, in fact. Sometimes it actually causes death. That's because baptism is a public declaration of allegiance to the one true and living God. So you're confessing, and these folks are confessing before all of us and really in that sense, the world, that Jesus is king and that I'm willing to follow him faithfully, whatever the cost. Third, in baptism, and this is similar with communion, the other tangible picture of the gospel, both the believer and the church are built up and edified. Following the commands of Jesus brings great spiritual blessings. So for the people being baptized, following him in obedience as they're doing today, there is a grace given to them from the Holy Spirit. He blesses the person being baptized. There is a, there's a joy that you, you, can't, you can't just come up with on your own. But there's also a, a larger blessing. You might say it's a, it's a wider blessing. A, a, it's a double joy. Joy for the person being baptized, and we receive joy as the family of God as we participate this morning. Our faith is built up. Our faith is strengthened. We are edified. Baptism reminds us of the good news of the gospel. When we see and hear their testimonies, we're reminded that this is the same God who rescued you and me from our sins. And so our response is in fact to be similar. It is the exact same response that Paul is calling this the Roman believers here to to walk then in newness of life, to continue to walk in newness of life before God, verse four. So when we hear these testimonies in just a minute and we will witness these baptisms, we're not merely to smile, not approvingly, clap politely. No, our response is actually an act of defiance as well. It's an act of defiance and an act of disobedience, not against one particular government, but our response this morning is an act of defiance and disobedience against, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, the prince of the power of the air, the powers of darkness. And so our response is to continue to walk in newness of life. In other words, to live a holy life, to dedicate ourselves to living such pleasing lives before God, to encourage each other to live practical holy lives in every area of our lives, to live lives worthy of the gospel we profess and the Savior that we love. Is there anything more defiant or disobedient in our world than a man or woman, boy and girl who says, I'm going to love Jesus more than anybody else and more than anything else? Is there anything more defiant or, or disobedient to the powers of this world than People like us who would say, I'm not gonna just follow the course of this world. I'm not just gonna go with the flow. But I'm gonna seek to please Jesus. And I wanna live such a holy life that, people, that there'd be a difference, that people would see a difference in me. That's defiance, brothers and sisters. That's disobedience in a way that God would choose to bless. So there is a sense where for all of us, for the redeemed. That this would be a time to do a little bit of spiritual inventory, some, to check our hearts this morning. Where have I wandered? Even just a, a slide step. Where have I been unfaithful this week to, to the Lord that I say I love? Where do I need to see more clearly where I am right now? Completely blind? Where am I in great danger? great spiritual danger, and I may not even know it, of just drifting. Maybe it's a certain friendship or relationship that we are holding so tight that it actually is doing great damage to our souls. Stubborn sins, and we all have them. The problem with stubborn sins is that they're stubborn. Our sins don't die very easily, do they? So maybe we're Bitter towards another person. And the Lord is calling us this day to repent. This would be a great time and place to throw yourself down at the mercy and the grace and the kindness of God as displayed in the gospel. Baptism is, in fact, a call for us as God's people, the church, to humble ourselves, to repent of our sins, to continue to walk in newness of life, to continue to believe the gospel, and yes, to encourage each other to live holy lives before God. So in just a few minutes here, we'll have the privilege of hearing seven testimonies. Some of them are shorter. Some of them are a bit longer. Many of them are really nervous. But there's always a uniqueness to how the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ reaches into our hearts, and each of these seven testimonies this morning are unique, but all of their testimonies share something in common. They all speak to the glory of God and salvation and the sufficiency of the grace of God to redeem and to rescue and to save. So every testimony, yours and mine, regardless of how long or how short, is a testimony of praise and honor to King Jesus. It's one thing to be committed to him in the privacy of your home and maybe even your heart, It's another thing to stand before hundreds of people and to testify and to say, I'm going on the record today. I'm gonna publicly proclaim that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, that he is my king and that my relationship with him is the most important relationship in my life. That's what these seven people are doing this morning. That's really what's going on this morning. So let's pray with and for them, shall we? Would you pray with me? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we are reminded already this morning of our great need and of your great provision for us. Thank you for this great salvation that is a gift from you for people like us. The truth is, Lord, we were dead in our sins with no hope, apart from the gracious working of the Holy Spirit, apart from Christ's sacrificial work on the cross, so thank you, Lord. Thank you for our great salvation, and Lord, if there is anybody here that perhaps is still questioning or doubting, Lord, I pray even in these next few moments as they hear Very normal, ordinary people bring praise to an incredible, miracle-working God. I pray that you would grip their heart. I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Be pleased to do that, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Would you all stand with me?
2: your truth, a fount fount of of perfect perfect wisdom, my highest good and my You may be seated. Mm-hmm. Come on, right over here. you, you want to stand up?
0: We'll be right with you. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we practice this. You're the first one. Why don't you face them?
3: I am facing them.
0: Good. Right. I
3: got it. I actually might need this glasses. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank you. Hello, my name is Connor Lassie. Last, oh, wrong page. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents taught me about God and living a Christian life. When I was a boy, my mom asked, my mom said I asked Jesus into my life. I confessed my sins and asked forgiveness for them, but I didn't really know what that meant. My understanding grew with time. Honestly, even though I attended church regularly, I did not pay very close attention to learning about the gospel. Thankfully, I did pay more attention at my Christian school. This may have been by force, but in the long run, it bore fruit. It was rough, though. I was a bit of a hellion as a child. One time, I got into a fist fight in kindergarten and had to see the headmaster. I wish I would have learned my lesson then, but eight years later, I broke my arm punching a wall. Two months later, I broke it punching a classmate. At the time, I was a firm believer that he definitely had it coming. He is now one of my closest friends. This moment helped me see that I was not as good a Christian as I thought I was. It also showed me that I may have some anger issues. Thankfully, our God is a gracious God. I was forgiven for my anger and my actions, and my teacher showed me a lot of kindness even though I didn't really deserve it. This was a picture of Romans 2, verse 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Last fall, I was frustrated and felt as though I really would not be saved because I wasn't good enough. It was then that my mom helped me understand that I could never be good enough on my own. As Romans 3 says, there is none who is righteous, no, not one, and no one can save themselves. She said that that is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus was perfect in all the ways, and it it is by his good works that someone is saved. It was then that something clicked inside me, and I felt relief. Ephesians 2, eight through nine says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. I truly understand that Jesus Christ is the perfect savior, and that I am a sinner in need of saving. For a long time, I was afraid of being baptized because of this testimony that I would have to give. Public speaking was never really my strong suit, and I didn't want to make a fool of myself. This year in school, however, we read Pilgrim's Progress. In it, the main character, Christian, passes through the gate of heaven to begin his journey without the burden of sin. He comes across two travelers who did not pass through the gate, and they instead climbed over. When questioned, the travelers said that this way was easier and they'd been doing it for years, so of course it must be all right. Christian retorts that they had not done as God prescribed. They blow them off, and later on, when they come to a steep hill, meant as an allegory for the Christian life, they are scared of its steepness and fear that if they stumble, they will fall and die. This is meant to be a warning to Christians, that if you do not go through the gate being baptized, that if going through the gate, being baptized, is too hard, you will never be able to live a Christian life full of all the hardships it may entail. After reading this, I was convicted. I told my mom, and we resolved to talk to Pastor Jeff. It took a while as I came to this decision at quite a busy time, but here we are. Over the years, I have seen Christian community in action, and it has warmed my heart. I want to take part in it personally, and baptism is the first step. This fall, I'm looking forward to becoming a church member, joining a small group, and growing in my understanding of the gospel.
0: You want to go around? You want to go around? You can go around front, yeah. This is Paul Lassie, Connor's dad. Connor, put your hands right there. there. Connor, have you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? I have. And is it your desire to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, brother. We may have filled this up too much, (laughs) so we'll learn.
4: My name is Rebecca Garrix. As a person born into a Christian family, God was always a part of my life. I understood that I could be redeemed of my sins by Jesus, Savior of the world. One day when I was five, God spoke through my Sunday school teacher, inviting him to declare me to declare him as my Lord. That night at the dinner table, I told my family I wanted to invite Jesus into my heart. My family prayed with me and just like that, Jesus was my Lord. What didn't change was my shame and my faith. I prayed to God to give me the courage to be light to others. The change didn't happen immediately. In fact, it took six years for God to really make a change in my life. My family was eating around the dinner table when my parents told us we were moving from Yakima to Spokane. I was sad to leave my friends, but what I didn't understand then is that moving would affect my spiritual life. It was full of hardships, but as Revelation 319 says, those whom I love, I rebuke and chasten. So be earnest and repent. God guided my family to a Christian school, which encouraged me in my faith. I found myself growing in my confidence in God and willing to express it to others. I knew that only Jesus could have made this change in me. I want to be baptized today to show others I am serious about my faith. Baptism is a way to give glory to God and joy to the church family. It is not what saves us, as our sins can only be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. I would like to end with Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him.
2: Just have a seat.
0: Rebecca, have you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Saviour? Yes. And is your desire to follow him all the days of your life? And upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There you go, sweetie. I'll get you a towel. Do you want a robe? Do you want a robe?
5: Hi everyone, my name is Grace Brinkman. I am here today because I made the choice that Jesus will be the king of my life and not me. It was not always like this. As you know, my dad is a pastor, so I've always grown up in a Christian household. From an early age, I've always been super independent. Naturally, this didn't help towards wanting to have a relationship with Jesus, because with Jesus, he rules my life and not me. My life up to this point was a lot of my way, or my way, and when it didn't go my way, life didn't go very well. When I was young, I say I did the normal things a Christian girl would do. I went to Sunday school, participated in sword drills, and sang the songs in church. The problem was that my heart was not really in it. I was just doing it because one, I was young and didn't understand Jesus or the gospel, and two, I was just trying to maintain an image. When I was 10, I went out to coffee with my parents. I told them I wanted to get baptized and they said no. When I look back now, I realize that was the best decision. I was not mature enough and did not have a big understanding of Jesus or what the gospel was. At that time though, I was disappointed. Around this age is when I really started forming opinions and my emotions were becoming deeper and bigger. For some time, I was definitely struggling. I would get into fights with my parents a lot about stupid stuff and it would affect everyone in my family. I stopped saying I love you and I stopped giving hugs. Early on in eighth grade, I started getting super stressed with school. The amount of homework I had was huge, and taking three accelerated classes is a lot for me, especially because I'm super hard on myself and a perfectionist. I started having a lot of anxiety. I was crying a lot, and it was pretty bad. I went through a really hard time during October. In October, I started having some struggles with some of my friends. One of them I always felt judged by, and that she just didn't like me. Between the anxiety of school, friends, struggling with body image, and my battle with Jesus, I was not doing very well. I lost hope of what my life was worth and thought I would never be saved. My heart was still really hard towards my family and Jesus. I remember a couple weeks before Easter, which happened to be on the same day as my birthday, my mom made a lighthearted comment, and she said, Grace,
2: wouldn't
5: that be so cool if you repented and put your trust in Jesus on Easter? I just laughed it off, but inside I was like, yeah, that would be pretty cool, but it definitely needed to come from my heart. Going to church the next two Sundays and then Easter was just amazing. I can't really describe what I felt, but it was something I had never felt before. It was this feeling in my heart that said, Jesus is king and I cannot rule my own life. I am a sinner and in great need of Jesus. I truly felt like I had repented and put my trust in Jesus. But there's one thing that I felt guilty of. I felt like Jesus couldn't accept me because of all the bad and mean things I have said and done. One verse my parents shared with me was Romans 8 1, which says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I really love this verse, and it really helped me understand that God forgives and doesn't hold anything against you. There is this song that my mom introduced me to called Back to Life. It's a really good song, and all the lyrics are amazing, and they felt they just spoke right to me. In this song, it says the hope of heaven before me, the grave behind. It says, I won't forget the moment I heard you call my name, out of the grip of darkness, into the light of grace. It also says, no longer I who live, but Christ in me, for I've been born again, my heart is free. And my personal favorite, the enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. As you can tell, I really love this song, and I felt it speaking to me a lot. Since my relationship with Jesus has grown deeper in the past few months, I have already seen changes. My struggling relationship with my sister is slowly but surely getting better, and my urge to read scripture, pray, and talk, and sing about Jesus has grown so much bigger. My appreciation and love for Jesus and how he has provided so many wonderful things in my life is so good. I know I'm not perfect. In fact, I'm pretty far from perfect. I'm a sinner. I will continue to sin until I'm old and gray. The difference is I have Jesus by my side now. I know he will always be with me, helping me navigate decisions in life. Jesus' forgiveness is incomprehensible, and I'm so thankful for it. I'm so excited to be baptized today. I have confidence that Jesus has my heart, and I'm so excited to see where he will take me.
0: Grace, have you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior? And is it your desire now to follow him all the days of your life? Then grace upon your profession of faith, (laughs) I now baptize you. It's going to (laughs) happen. Just wait. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Do you, you want a robe?
6: you want a robe?
7: Ella Brinkman. Since my dad is a pastor and I've grown up in a Christian family, attended a great church, and never been in jail, I always always found myself questioning what type of testimony I would have. I've grown up in a home where I never questioned the existence of God or his authority over my life. I knew he created me and sent his son to die for me to save me from my sins, but I never um, but I never really had a desire to have a relationship with him. I never understood the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus or how growing closer to him would affect my life. When I was younger, I struggled a lot with being argumentative and angry. I lacked any form of humility and I always wanted to be right. I struggled to ask for forgiveness or to be truly repentant. Around fourth grade, I started to have a softer heart towards others, and I was quicker to forgive and ask for forgiveness. But my desire to grow closer to Jesus was inconsistent, and I continued to struggle with pride. In fifth and sixth grade, I found myself wanting to seek a relationship with Jesus, but I continuously struggled with seeing myself as unworthy of salvation. I believed that I wasn't worthy of being saved or receiving forgiveness, because because I thought I would choose other people or things in my life over Jesus. In middle school, I struggled to engage in church, and I couldn't find a youth group that I felt connected to. I knew the right answers to the questions I was asked in Sunday school, but I didn't have any personal relationship with Jesus. Looking back on those years now, I see God's faithfulness in my life. Even though I never had a dramatic coming-to-Jesus moment, God was continuously working in my heart and drawing me closer to him. Over the past few years, I've begun to engage more in everything involving my relationship with Jesus. I look forward to church, youth group, and discipleship. I have developed friendships with people who help me grow in godliness and encourage and pray for me. I am more aware of my sin and acknowledge my immense need for Jesus, and deeply desire and I deeply desire and am committed to growing closer to Him. I have been wanting to get baptized for a long time, but I was too concerned with fear and didn't make it a priority in my life. Earlier this year, I attended a youth conference with a few of my friends. I had a moment during worship where I felt completely dependent on Jesus in a way I had never felt before. I felt a deep desire to have Jesus be the center of my life, and I wanted other people to see that I was living for his glory. I found a revived passion and love for Jesus and a desire to continue growing closer to him. I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way I had had never felt before. God was working in my heart and pulling me closer to him in a way that I didn't recognize. And I continued to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in the same way during church services, prayer, and worship. I want to be baptized to outwardly reflect an inward change and commit my life to growing in a personal relationship with Jesus and living my life for the glory of God. I want the people in my life to notice a difference in the way I live and who I live for. I want to lovingly and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel for the purpose of drawing others to a relationship with Jesus. I want others to find the same peace, comfort, forgiveness, and salvation that I found in him.
0: Ella, have you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him all the days of your life? And upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Am on? There we go. This is Justin, Judah's dad. All
6: right. um, my name is Judah Gray. I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home with loving, God-fearing parents. I went to a Christian school and was surrounded by God's Word in every aspect of life. But even even with all of this around me, it wasn't necessarily a part of me. So growing up, I had the desire to follow God, but I didn't act on it. I had the head knowledge, and I knew all the right answers, but I didn't care what my sins actually did and how they affected me and those around me. I had the answer as the desire to follow God. I continued to act high and I didn't really think how I could better serve others or choose to acknowledge my pridefulness and continue giving to my... I didn't choose to acknowledge my pridefulness and continued giving into my temper, even though I knew I n- needed to stop. I didn't ever have desire to really change and grow. I might have known what I should do, but I basically refused to give in any effort in changing and repenting. But more recently, I've seen that the absence of God's life in someone else's life looks like through people at school and work, and it's got me thinking about what it really means to not accept the word of God, and it's really opened my eyes to how much I need him and made me want to repent of my need and be baptized in obedience to God. This has put the desire into my heart and want to follow him for the rest of my life.
2: Yes,
0: yeah, okay, your arms out there. Judah, have you repented of your sins and trusted in Christ as your Savior? Yes. And is your desire to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. And upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There you go.
1: Hello, I'm Chad Weist. I've always believed in God as a kid. I went to Sunday school with until my sister quit then I quit later on in life <clears throat> After high school was a very dark time for me a lot of drinking a lot of drugs the 90s herbal blurred for me in 2000 I got sober. In the program I was working, I was told that I needed a higher power. I've always believed in God so I used Him. But I still didn't believe in Him. I didn't really think too much about my own sins or how I was living and didn't really see any need to change. A year le- later, after I got sober, I met Marcy and Jessica. The best thing that ever happened to me. We kept on living, not going to church. But we, always, we both talked about it, and we always believed in God. A few years later, a good friend of mine in high school, from high school, got me into the oil field. I don't know how much you guys know about the oil field, but it's a rough life. I remember a conversation very well that me and this friend of mine had. We said if we ever died that we would not go to heaven. We'd go straight to hell and take over because the devil would step aside. (sighs) Some years later, This same friend of mine and I were talking, and he was telling me about reading scripture and how it was changing his life. About two days later, he got killed on his motorcycle. I wondered why God took him so young and had a lot of questions and resentment. But then, the one thing I did remember, that it was changing his life and that I still believed in God. And I still continue, as I still was in the oil field, I can still continue to sin. And I was did some things to my family that I really regret. Luckily, Marcy and I have always been able to work through it, and I am thankful for her patience and love for me. After I got out of the oil field, Marcy's sister, Lori, introduced us to GCF. We decided to make the change and move over to Coeur d'Alene and Post Falls. We continued to go to GCF and started to learn and understand more about the church and Jesus as my savior. I didn't want to use him I'm really thankful for this church, Jeff, and a lot of other guys in this congregation for the fellowship and teaching me about Jesus as a, and I know I'm just getting started in this journey and I'm really thankful for the church and learning what it means to follow Jesus. I want to get baptized today to let everybody know that Jesus is my Savior and I am trusting in Him for everything in my life.
0: Chad, have you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ? Yes. And is your desire now to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. And Chad, upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. (laughs) Good job, brother. You're going to be okay. That's a lot, That's a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we had to lock the door so Jenna's not heading out that way. You're good. See, it's not so bad. It's family.
8: Hello, my name is Jenna Joy Ingram and my family and I have been coming to GCF for about three years now and are so incredibly thankful to be here. When Jeff asked if I would like to be baptized, I was very enthusiastic about doing it, as it is something I have been wanting to do since I became a Christian about seven years ago. When I realized I would have to stand up here and tell my testimony to all of you, my enthusiasm level shrank considerably, and I honestly felt like running away and also like kicking myself because our old church just took people into a river, dunked them, and then off they went, totally unscathed. But I wasn't called to do it there, (laughs) and even if vulnerability and using my voice is not really in my comfort zone at all, I know God often calls us out of our comfort zone and it's always for his good. I grew up in a home very much without God. My mom worked full time away from the house and my dad stayed home with me and my younger sister. My dad was a very strong authority figure and battled extreme anger and alcoholism. Home wasn't safe and I learned very quickly how important people pleasing my dad was. It started as a survival method, but quickly changed into my identity as the years went on. And because of this, fear ultimately controlled every aspect of my life. To counter that and feel that I was safe and loved, I did what I learned that would keep me that way. I mirrored everyone around me, and they liked me. I never had a problem making friends, because who wouldn't want to be friends with themselves? Everyone loves themselves more than anything, and that was my ticket to feeling loved. So I people-pleased every relationship I knew, and it worked. When I met my husband, it was much of the same story, and he mirrored my father in many of the same unhealthy ways, which made me feel like I was right where I should be. I was needed. I took on all responsibility of fixing everything and making sure it always worked out, and that worked for a while until it didn't anymore. Many of you know my husband, Casey, is a Marine. After he came back from Afghanistan, we got married. He was definitely not okay, and I was no longer equipped, if I ever was, to fix anything that was going on inside of him his PTSD was very real and very scary. Everything was inconsistent and chaotic, which wasn't actually that different from what I had known growing up, but the PTSD added an invisible layer neither of us could ultimately deal with on our own. Enter God. At this time, I was working as a kindergarten teacher. I loved my job and felt needed there too. I had an aide in my class that would repeatedly ask if she could pray over me when it was just her and I in the room. As stated before, I am a people pleaser, and she clearly wanted to do this. So to please her, I agreed to it each time. (laughs) Knock yourself out, lady. I mean, it can't hurt, right? It was weird. I thought she was weird. It made me feel weird. But it made her happy, so pray she did. (laughs) Casey and I welcomed our first baby boy on June 6, 2015. The worst night of my life so far. Alcohol, aggression, and PTSD was a bad mix for that night. And that was only Casey's side. I encountered all sorts of medical complications with having our baby, so it was definitely broken physically, and by this point, a bit mentally, too. I was finally ready to accept the, loss of, the total loss of control I was feeling in my life, and remembering my sweet kindergarten aide, I texted her and asked if she had a verse or something she read to herself when things were a little bit hard in life. She sent me Matthew 11:28: Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I repeated that verse through tears all night to myself until I fell asleep. I was finally ready to hear it and I hoped with everything it was true because I felt pretty weary at this point and didn't see a way to fix anything. No amount of people pleasing was going to restore this story. Only a gracious God could do that. Only a gracious God could take away in one night the hopeless, unforgiving feelings I felt. The next morning I came to Casey and let him know I was going to start going to church where my kindergarten aide went and I wasn't mad at him anymore. And he could come or not, no pressure. And I honestly felt that way, and it shocked me. I could have never humbled myself like that in my own strength, and I knew then God was real. After realizing what a sin unforgiveness truly is, and the fact that God could forgive me for anything and everything I had done, I had no choice but to truly forgive those in my life who had hurt me. This changed so much. Casey and I began to regularly attend a church. The drinking stopped, and the counseling started. Life became radically different for us, and we were doing pretty well in the crowd, being big fans of Jesus. Fast forward six years later to 2021, in the height of COVID, our church shut down, and we had both been feeling like we needed more. Our church was a wonderful, fine Jesus church, but we both knew we needed a follow Jesus church now. We were ready, and boy, did God plant us here at the perfect time, his perfect time. We were blessed with our fourth and final son on October 26, 2021 and just about everything went wrong with this situation. This part of my life is still so fresh, I could stand up here for hours telling you how the situation with the hospital tore my heart out. <sighs> and left me in pure and utter despair, contemplating things I had never contemplated before and breaking further than I had ever been broken. I actually kept having to rewrite this part of my testimony because my flesh wants you to know how unbelievably unfair and truly terrible it all was. But the truth is, all you really need to know about it is it was where I decided to set down the flag I was carrying as a fan of Jesus and decided to take up my own cross as a follower. When I zoom out and look at the situation without all of the traumatic details, I can clearly see the root cause of so much of my pain. I wasn't needed. My identity has always been rooted in being needed. I have always been needed in my life. My dad, mom, sister, friends, Casey, my class, my kids. Always fixing and people-pleasing. Always going 100 miles per hour. Always being needed to make things better. Always rushing to the next person, or to the next thing for the next person so I didn't have to focus on how broken I actually was. And the truth I encountered in this time was brutal and heartbreaking. I just wasn't needed. As a mom, especially, you were always feeling needed, even if it feels thankless or exhausting. There's always this underlying feeling of comfort from feeling needed. But this dark reality is, during this time, I wasn't needed. I wasn't needed to keep my baby alive. My son didn't actually need my body or my love for the beginning of his life. The hospital could do it all without me, and they did. I came home without him, more lost than I had ever been. I wasn't capable of being the mom I strived so hard to be at this point, and because God gave Casey the power to stand so tall and strong during this time and somehow fill every role there could have been, I wasn't needed at home either. I really didn't have a place, and because I was so broken, torn, and confused, I felt I only made things worse for everyone around me. Not being needed is a very strange, lonely, and empty feeling. It turns everything to flat, gray silence, and the silence is deafening in a terrifying way. It seems this is where the enemy would be most content to speak lies and speak, or rather scream, he did. I heard them daily, and they took me so far down. I wasn't able to help anyone with their needs anymore, and it all came to a head where I finally asked myself, if no one needs me, what is it that I need? Jesus. Jesus was my answer. I needed Jesus. I needed to slow down and stop white-knuckling every aspect of my life. I needed to give up the illusion of control I held so closely. I needed to read my Bible and spend time actually getting to know the character of God for myself. I needed to spend time in his presence and desire it. I needed not to be needed. Nobody may have needed me, but I needed Jesus in a way I have never known before, in a way that has changed me forever. I guess my whole experience could be summed up by saying this time in my life was bad enough to wake me up, hard enough for me to need Jesus, and he was strong enough to carry me through it all, just as my favorite verse always reminds me, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I know by choosing to get baptized today, it won't make me the perfect person I desire and pressure myself to be. It won't guarantee that I will always feel loved and needed by those around me, and I know I will still struggle with control and countless other things in life. But the big difference, and it's big, is I won't be alone in those struggles. Because what I have realized through life's ups and downs is it's not about me. It's not about who loves me or who needs needs me and who doesn't. It's about needing and loving Jesus. It's about following Jesus. It's about taking up your cross and dying to everything that isn't Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And how blessed are we today that he is still saying to us, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I now know that is all I need. Jesus is all I need. And maybe that's all you need too.
0: Jenna, have you repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ? Yes. And is it your desire to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Great job. you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for these testimonies that we have heard. Thank you for grace given, not just for the folks that were just baptized, but for us. What a great God you are. What a great salvation you bring. May we rejoice and never tire of rejoicing in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are redeemed this morning because Jesus actually walked through the stormy waters of judgment in our place. Through his atoning death and glorious resurrection from the dead, he rescued us from the